Hi, my name is Nina. Welcome back to the Unravel Podcast. And my name is Alina. And today, we thought it would be helpful if we talked about the process of real estate. So what it looks like both from the realtor side and from the client side. Buying a home, selling a home, and the steps involved. So Absolutely. Um, so I get asked a lot from a lot of people, like, how does real estate work? How are you able to show someone else's listing um, and stuff like that? So I kind of wanted to talk about the fundamentals of real estate and kind of what that looks like from both perspectives, like Nina mentioned. Um, so how it works is, you know, you have a buyer's agent and a seller's agent. Um, the buyer's agent represents the buyer and then the seller agent represents the seller. Mm -hmm. um, I'm looking at Nina. So I'm going to be the buyer's agent. You'll be the seller's agent. <laughs> <laughs> or do a little role play here. <laughs> right, right. Um, so we put all of our listings in an MLS system. The seller's agent would be the one receiving the listing or because they're representing the seller. And so they would put their listings in the MLS system. The MLS stands for Multiple Listing Service, um, again, which is where all listings go into. And then from there... We as buyer agents and other seller agents are able to go onto the MLS system and search for listings that fit their client's needs. Now, regardless of Nina as a seller's agent, she could also still represent buyers as well. Um, so she could also represent two parties in the same transaction, the buyer and the seller. Um, and that's called dual, that, that's called dual agency, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I have a brain part there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so you have two parties in the transaction to represent the other two parties of the buyer and the seller. So... Once a listing's in the MLS system, again, the buyers can go on, shop for, sorry, the buyer's agent, or really any agent can go on, shop for any listings that they're looking for, for their client, and then from there, we're able to schedule an appointment with the other party, which would be the listing agent or seller's agent, um, and show our clients someone else's listing. So it's kind of cool. We don't have to, the buyer's agent doesn't have to have the listing themselves to be able to show other people's listings. Um, the MLS system allows us to show everyone's listings. Yeah. And within that, there are some nuances that I think are important too, both from the realtor side and if a buyer is curious. Sometimes you'll see a property listed on Zillow or realtor.com, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that property is in the local MLS. And sometimes we'll have agents from maybe two or three hours away that for whatever reason are listing property over here and they have listed it not in the local MLSs. So the exposure is poor and most local agents don't even have access to get into that property very easily. The only very way true. for them to access is for them to try to contact the agent or the office. And then if those people don't respond or answer the phone, then we're kind of stuck figuring out, you know, when can we get access? Yeah, when can we show the property? Is it already under contract? Um, and that's another thing too. If you are wanting to look at a property as a buyer's agent, I'm going to go ahead and call that agent to really confirm if it's already under contract or not. Because a lot of times it will show us active when they've already accepted an offer and then we're wasting our time and your time. We don't want you to like a property and get attached to it if it's already under contract. Right. Yeah. So that's just a little behind the scenes of that part. Absolutely. Um, I'd also like to kind of explain why you need representation on both sides. So as a buyer's agent, I think it's very vital to be to have a buyer's eight as a buyer, I think it's very vital to have a buyer's agent. Um, there, you, you mean you obviously have the option to go directly to the seller's agent or the seller if they're doing a for sale by owner to to purchase that house. Um, 
personally, in my experience, again, you don't have to have a real estate agent, but if you want, if you want representation and advice, you know, it's valuable to have someone who's in the industry, like a real estate agent to kind of coach you and help you through that process. Um, but also, um, draft the paperwork up, you know, give you advice, negotiate on your behalf and just all of those things. Kind of like when you go to the doctor's office, um, yes, you may try to treat yourself at home for a little bit and then go later on, but, but also you go later on because you realize you couldn't do it yourself or you weren't, you didn't know what you needed. So that's kind of, I feel like it's kind of a little similar to having mm -hmm. an agent or, you know, having even a lawyer to represent you, um, because you're hiring someone who's a professional in the industry to guide you and give you information. Um, so you, you're able to make a sound decision. Um, and then on the seller side of things, you, you'll see very frequently, like some sellers will sell their home by themselves, which is cause, which is called a for sale by owner and abbreviated as a FISBO. Um, there's nothing wrong with that as well. They just chose not to have representation. Most of the time it's because they, they're wanting to avoid the commission, which again is fine. Everybody has their own preferences in that aspect. Um, but the value of having representation again is almost the same as the buyer side as well. Um, but a little more because you're getting marketing out of it. You're getting your listing inputted into the MLS system, which filtrates to Zillow, Realtor.com, Homes.com, all the public sites that buyers go to, to search for homes. Um, so that's a really, that's probably the biggest part of wanting to hire a real estate agent is to get your listing in your, to get your home and put it in our MLS system so that you have more exposure. Mm -hmm. And even, cause I know there's some companies that will just offer a fee to get that done. Um, and mm, and putting true. in the MLS is an excellent tool, but it's only one layer and um, the marketing, the connections that agent has to other agents in the area, um, lenders, basically does that person have the capacity to get your property advertised out there on the open market? Um, just inputting it into the MLS is not enough to get it sold. Now, if it's a high demand property, priced really low, you know, the market's crazy, then perhaps just doing that would be sufficient. But as the market fluctuates up and down, it's definitely important to have layers. I heard a story uh, my coach mentioned a few days back where you use the example of someone who goes and buys a high-end watch. They pay top dollar, it's beautiful, it's in the case. They take it home, they decide, mm, I don't like it. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna try to sell it. So then they have a garage sale and they're trying to sell that watch for exactly what they bought it for. It's in the case, never been worn, unused, perfect, brand new. No one's gonna pay market value for that property because now they know, oh well, it's, it's at a garage sale. I don't need to pay, I can, I can negotiate. Now, if you were to hire mm. someone to take that watch to an auction, you will for sure get a higher price point. So it's kind of, it's all about perspective. If you really are wanting to save the ten dollars to $20,000, whatever that amount is, if that agent is able to get you that plus more, does that make sense? So again, it's all about motivation. That was a damn good analogy. All my friends tell me I have the worst analogy. <laughs> That was really good. My doctor one probably terrible, but that was a good analogy. Well, I can't that take one. credit. That was my coach that brought yeah, that up. Yeah, damn good coach then. <laughs> but yeah. And then, so let's say we're looking at property. Um, what I like to try to do is to look at a couple houses at the same time. Before that, you know, we've had a conversation on what your preferences are, what are your non-negotiables, because mm -hmm. I would love to have an hour or two conversation and then only have to go look at a few homes instead of not really communicating or discussing the buyer's needs and then going to look at, you know, Every hundred home on houses. The market. <laughs> because then eventually they all become the same, you know? And right. so 
But also when you have that meeting with that buyer, you're also, you're also, your goal is to figure out, sometimes buyers will go into meetings, especially the first time home buyers, they have no idea what they're, what they need. And that's totally fine. But that's the whole point of having that meeting to kind of narrow down what that looks like. What mm -hmm. do you have to have? What are your goals in purchasing this home mm -hmm. to kind of, again, scale back on the amount of houses you're showing, not for just us, but also for you. Yeah. I don't want to waste your time showing you a hundred houses. One of the day, your goal is to make sure you have a basement access for your grandmother who's going to be living in there with you for 10 years or something like that. Yeah. Um, once we figure that out, then there's no need to look at homes that don't have a basement. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I like to tell buyers is that it's important for you to talk with a lender to see mm. what you're qualified for. And uh, some people get upset and they say, well, why don't you just show me houses anyway? even if I've not talked to a lender. The reason we do this is more for the buyer's sake. And that's because what if you may not be qualified at all to purchase a home and then you're spending time on things that wouldn't benefit you. Instead, we could have a conversation about what you need to do to become qualified. If you are qualified, then at what price? Because we don't want to look at houses that are 500,000 if you're qualified for 200 or look at houses that are 200 if you're qualified for 500,000 because then, you know, it's just, again, it's not the best use of your time. So knowing what you qualify for, what you want to ask for, and then we can work our showings around those details. So that's why it's important. And it's less about, we don't want to show you properties. We do, we want to, but for your own sake, don't you want to know, have a better idea? You know, it's like, if you're going to plan a vacation, don't you want to know where you're going, what airport you're going to be at, what's your seat? Now we, all the details are important. Right. And to piggyback off of that as well, um, I think having that pre-qualification letter from a lender before you go look at houses, number one, shows your agent that you're working with, that you're truly serious about your purchase. So they don't feel like they're wasting their time either. Mm -hmm. um, but also safety as well. Um, I know for myself, like being a woman in this industry, like we get up and we just go show random people houses every single day. We meet random people all the time. Um, but also it makes me less worrisome to know that a buyer is pre-qualified and has a letter on yeah. hand that they provide of me beforehand because I know at the end of the day that person is serious enough mm -hmm. versus me just showing a random person who just called and wants to see a house. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll occasionally do that, but it is very rare. I usually vet mm -hmm. them to some degree um, because I'm very mindful of my safety. Like I, if I'm going to meet a random stranger, I need to know this random stranger is committed to what I'm, what I'm taking my time out of the day to go do and go meet them. Yeah, definitely. And then let's say we find a house that you love. We then will communicate with that listing agent, ask them what the seller is hoping for, see what kind of offer we can write. Um, obviously the offer needs to make sense for you as a buyer, but then also we want to provide some terms that the seller will love. Once we go under contract, typically the next thing that happens is there's a due diligence period. Now, sometimes people will waive this and you know, I don't always recommend that. Um, I always recommend you get an inspection, but some scenarios they do. Now you get your due diligence period, you can back out, for any reason at any time. You could roll over one morning and say, I don't like that house, and you can back out. But typically this is when you will get an inspection, look into the property, if there's an HOA, find out all those details. You will put down your earnest money. This earnest money goes towards purchase price. This basically shows, hey, I'm serious. <laughs> After that period of time, if you're getting a loan, then you have maybe your financing contingency and appraisal contingency. But if you were to back out, outside of those contingencies, you'll lose that earnest money. And so I, I have found that a lot of people don't know how that process works. And so this is just kind of a roadmap in a way. Yeah. Um, and then to kind of, you know, add to that, um, 
the negotiation phase as well. So even though in the beginning, when you make an offer before you're under contract, you are negotiating price, you're negotiating terms of the contract, whether that's due diligence, financing contingency period, mm-hmm. appraisal contingency period, how long do those need to be? What time frame you turn your earnest money in? When does the closing need to be? So you've got to negotiate all of those factors beforehand. A lot of them are kind of basic and easy. Oh, and how much money you're putting down as earnest yeah. money. The typical in our markets, usually 1%. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're negotiating all of those things before you go under contract. And then once you get under contract and you're in your due diligence period, the average for our market is anywhere between five to seven days. Um, then you're, then you're in negotiation again. Um, after you get your home inspection done, there's probably going to be some items that you may or may not want repaired, or you may want compensation for those items to, in lieu of them not getting repaired. So then again, in negotiation again, that you're trying to determine, you know, what the seller's willing to do, what you're willing to do as a buyer to kind of make the deal flow and continue to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there's this misconception sometimes of people, um, it's, it's for, it's a lot of the times first time home buyers, which again, there's nothing wrong with first time home buyers are great. And that the whole reason you're, we're here for you is to educate you on how the process works. So you don't have to be worried about anything. Um, mm. but this is a common question I get asked is, you know, shouldn't we get a home inspection before we go under contract or shouldn't we, you know, have this looked at before? And I'm like, actually, no, you don't want to waste your time doing that before you go under contract because you don't even know if you're going to get the house or not. You've got to mm-hmm. negotiate those terms in advance. And then there's a time period which again is called the due diligence period where you get your home inspection done and you try to renegotiate the terms of the initial contract after your home inspection takes place. And and, and again, you don't have to get a home inspection. Is it advised to get one? Yes. Mm-hmm. But that again helps you be able to negotiate further if you need to, if there are issues with the home. Mm-hmm. Um, but you find out if there's issues with, but if you, fi- you find out if there's issues with the home when you get a home inspection. Yeah. Um, and that's so why... Yeah. Hiring the right real estate professional is very important because they have to be knowledgeable in the negotiation part of the deal. You know, some people will, as a listing agent, send me lowball offers and they immediately, they immediately will upset the seller and the seller won't even consider their offer instead of offering something reasonable. If they find issues, then negotiating. So there's so many different moving parts that are important to consider. So when you're hiring a real estate professional, you have to think about those things. Do they have a track record of closing? Do they have a track record with buyers and sellers? Do they understand the broad picture? So totally agree with that. Okay. So you get through due diligence, you, the appraisal is ordered. That comes back. What happens if the appraisal is lower than the purchase price. Oh, this is a fun question. <laughs> it's never fun in the transaction when it happens though, because then it becomes a complete shit show. Mm-hmm. So I've actually had it happen a couple different ways um, where the appraisal has came in lower and the, um, and I've had this happen. It wasn't a r- really rural area where there just weren't a lot of comps and the appraiser had to call a tidewater. I don't mm-hmm. know how you say it, but tidewater basically, which means basically what it means when that happens is the appraiser couldn't find any comp so, comp. So he's allowing the other parties to bring some, um, to try to figure out if there's, you know, to, to readjust the, wait, hold on. He calls the other agents to bring in comps to, to help with his. Mm-hmm. Appraisal. Basically, <laughs> yeah, basically if they don't do their job, they need us. Correct. Correct. So they call us for help. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had that happen before. We know we've helped them figure out the comps and then it came in fine after that. Yeah. Um, and then like you said, what happens when it goes bad? Um, so it can go one or two ways. You can either re- renegotiate the terms of the contract or it ends up terminating. Mm-hmm. So what what happens in both instances, if you're renegotiating, sometimes the seller will drop the pi- price to you know whatever the appraised value is, which happens nine times out of 10 um, because most of the times buyers can't afford much more 
than what they're already paying. Um, and most of the time people aren't going to want to pay over the appraised value for a home. So that's what happens nine times out of 10. Um, other option is you renegotiate. And, um, sometimes that can be the buyer willing to pay the difference, the buyer willing to pay half. I've had that happen before. Um, it just depends on, you know, what both parties are willing to do. Um, and I, I would say, side note, when you're in a transaction with another party, be mindful. This is a goal for both of you guys. Your goal as the buyer is to get into this new home. The seller's goal is to close the deal. Um, it's not always going to be on the seller and it's not always going to be on you. You're going to have to work with the other party to find that happy medium to get to your goal, but also get to the other person's goal. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's another big misconception in a, in a transaction is, oh, the seller needs to fix all of these things. Um, the buyer has to do this because this is their obligations. But, you know, at the end of the day, we we all have the same goals to get to yeah. closing. So we have to work together as a team to accomplish that goal. And mm -hmm. if we, and a lot of times when deals fall through, it's because neither parties are willing to compensate or do something to get to closing. Kind of mm -hmm. like the, the deal you mentioned a while back in another episode about how the, there were the inspection report was terrible yeah. and the seller was like, no, we're not doing anything. Yeah. So again, how, how are you going to get to closing? If mm -hmm. you're not willing to do anything, you're not willing to help the other party. Yeah. So it goes back to, again, who you choose to work with both on the buyer side and the seller side, because if each person is willing to negotiate or represent their client in a reasonable way. Now, granted, sometimes a buyer or a seller will ask for crazy things, which are not reasonable, but if both parties are being reasonable and they want to work together, typically you can come to an agreement and get to the closing table. But if, you know, your agent is not versed in, negotiation or maybe they haven't sold a property in a long time or maybe they're just cocky and they have ego and they don't want to drop the price whatever the case may be you just have to think about that as well because really sometimes if a property doesn't appraise or there's conditions that need repair that's not going to change so if this deal terminates the next buyer not only do you then have to disclose that information, but mm -hmm. you'll have the same issue. So a lot of times it's worth- never sells. <laughs> no, and it's worth trying to make that deal work. Totally um, agree. So let's say you get past that, and for whatever reason you decide, I don't wanna buy the house. Then in that case, you will be losing the earnest money and opening yourself up to a lawsuit. Um, most times, you know, a lot of brokers, they don't end up suing, but the buyer and the buyer's agent, you know, well, not the buyer, because if you don't close the seller and the seller's agent. So it's kind of, there's so many different layers. Um, if you're within your contingencies and you're backing out because of those contingencies, your earnest money will go back to you. But if not, you'll lose it. Um, your agent doesn't get paid. Nobody gets paid. Um, so again, just different things. And I will say this, buyer, seller, anyone, real estate, anything, like read the contracts that you're signing. Um, I know like you rely on your agents to explain it and we do a very good job of doing that, but doesn't just because we, you know, summarize the contract for you doesn't mean that that our summary isn't explaining every single term of a con every single term in the contract. Um, it's like, like when you're hiring a little, when you're hiring a real estate agent, you're almost like hiring a lawyer. Like you're, you're having someone represent you. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important that you read what you're agreeing to um, so that you know your rights, you know what your agent's responsibilities are, you know what the seller's rights are. You know, you know, you understand what you're getting into in this transaction. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand some of the things, then you have a conversation with your agent and you know, you go through every item line by line. I do it all the time with clients and that is totally fine. Um, at the end of the day, we want you to, we want to make sure that you truly understand what you're, what what you're getting into, but also what your responsibilities are as well. Um, then that way, you know, once everybody understands everything and we're kind of all, um, 
in agreement on things, it definitely helps move things a lot sm- smoother um, when yeah. we all understand what's going on. And just a little, I'm going to insert this comment. If you are a first time home buyer, or even this is your second home, but you are between the ages of 40, 30, 20 years old, you may have grandparents or parents that want to be involved in the transaction that maybe they purchased their home years ago for $50,000 or $120,000. And they think it's outrageous that a home is now $250,000 or $450,000. Just keep that in mind that from their perspective, a home should cost this much. But in reality, that price no longer exists in this market. And so although their feedback, of course, is valid and important because they're your family, it may not be 100% updated to the current market all the time. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, but also too, like the whole point of buying real estate and why it's one of the most um, sought after things, but also like what makes a lot of people rich is because it appreciates. You can, you can own a home and not do anything to it, but maintain it. And it appreciate in value with you doing nothing to it. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why people want to invest in real estate. So let's be honest, if real estate didn't have that kind of weight, nobody would be buying it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's very, I think that plays a really big role in, in purchasing real estate. Yeah. Well, I think that wraps us up for today. Next week, we're going to get into the listing side. So sellers and what that expectation should be. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. We bring out a podcast every Wednesday and feel free to connect with us on social media as well.